If you build it, they will come. Has the benefit from coming from a baseball movie, which in my book makes it wisdom. (laughs) Gospel, almost. Actually comes from, of course, Field of Dreams, which some of you might know about. That my wife, Teresa, our song leader, was in that line of cars when in the end they all finally arrive. One of the few benefits of growing up in Iowa, I am told. (laughs) But for a second here, I'm going to channel comic book guy from The Simpsons. Worst advice ever. Worst advice ever. If you build it, they will come when it pertains to building religious community. If you build it, a building, a specific place, if you build it, they will come. Now, I'm not against congregational buildings. In fact, we'll have one at one point, especially we we keep growing like this. But ultimately, in my heart, I am a building agnostic. One way or the other. Buildings themselves are neutral. Buildings don't come first. And too many congregations have been led astray by the phrase that was up there before. If you build it, they will come. That somehow a building confers legitimacy. A building confers security. A building confers the sense that, yes, we are real, and now we are ready for you to come join us because we have a building. Buildings do not come first. My mindset on this has been directly informed by my experience these last couple years and the time prior to it, and is directly related to how we celebrate today, to how we celebrate Wellspring's second birthday. See, Wellsprings, before it was Wellsprings, before it had a name, when it was only identified as a region in which there would be a Unitarian Universalist congregation sort of plopped down right in the middle of it. And we did our demographic studies. We had very good plans. I don't want to deny the importance of plans. They are critical. I mean, we are like one mile from the epicenter of where this congregation was supposed to be right here in the Montgomery School. We did our planning. We did our research. We looked at demographics. But before Wellsprings was Wellsprings, it was just a concept to achieve the growth of Unitarian Universalism. Now, who would that appeal to? People who are just Unitarian Universalist already. Growth, for growth's sake, is not the basis of any healthy institution, any healthy congregation, any healthy entity. If I invited you in every day and said, we are here to grow, and so you are not enough, Because then growth is always as important or more important than who's here is the next person in the door. We do not grow in order to grow. Wellsprings was not born as a concept, but was created as a congregation with this mantra in mind. If we are healthy, if we are clear to our identity and clear in our identity, we will become a vital congregation. If we have a clear and robust spiritual foundation, then we will grow because in nature, healthy things grow. That's the way that it is. So that's how I feel about buildings, that a building is only good to this extent. It ought to be an outward sign of the inward spiritual growth that the people in the congregation are experiencing within themselves and between themselves. That's what buildings are good for. We are growing to become, and we are, a beacon for blessing and of blessing this world. 
and the building, trust me, it will come in time. But it's not the most important thing. It's not the priority. As I finish this message series today about hope and fear in the new year, today as we celebrate our second birthday, I've been thinking about what really is security in a spiritual community. What makes for a foundation that is firm and grounded? And what I can recall over these last three and a half years that I have been here, we had a 17-month pregnancy. We needed that gestation time. Long gestation, intentional gestation, then birth, the start of our worship services. What I'm very clear on is that Wellsprings has known fear and it has known hope since its very, since our very inception. Less than three years ago, you know who Wellsprings was? Ten people sitting in a room together, none of whom had ever launched or planted a religious community before. The basic fear was this, that we did not know what the hell we were doing. (laughs) I mean, like I said, we had very good plans, but this was a risky venture. To create anything new is always a risk. And the reason we were able to take that risk and face our fears was this. We had a very firm, a firm and hopeful conviction, more firm than our fear ever was, that the spirit must always precede structure. And so before anything else, we were called to transform those 10 of us in that room, in that office up on Route 100. We've moved offices since then. We were called to transform and deepen our own lives because the coin of the realm in any healthy religious community, I don't care about its theology. I don't care about its denomination. The coin of the realm, the cash money is the depth of the spirit in its members. It was true then and it is certainly true now. We knew that we could not share with the world what we didn't possess, at least in part. And so we grew and became grounded in the certainty that the best we could offer the world would come out of our own spiritual growth. And so we set out in this spirit, this adventure, to launch this new congregation. From the beginning, Wellsprings has all been about confronting uncertainty with its many, many fears and choosing hope. You guys, the band... Well, thinking of you guys and gal, excuse me as well. She came later. You'll appreciate them even more when you realize that it was two weeks before our first dress rehearsal and we didn't have a band. This kept me up nights for an entire month. But I have to tell you, The process of leading this congregation since its start has taught me the majority of what I know about living in the kind of trust in this life that is the only true faith. It's not about believing a creed. It's not about believing a content. It is about entering this life knowing fear and acting instead with hope. Not knowing that everything will work out perfectly, and indeed it doesn't, but knowing that together we can find a way. That is faith. Reflecting this past week on the journey to this day, to this celebration of our second birthday, fittingly, gracefully, I opened a book of poetry this past week, Hafiz, the Persian mystic poet. Wonderful, wonderful stuff. And one of the reasons I love Hafiz is the same reason I love Walt Whitman. Very earthy. Now, I can talk this way. It's going to sound like South Park, but it's Hafiz. 
The second poem I turned to after the first poem, which is why it was so graceful, the second poem talked about a spiritual teacher that Hafiz had who farted four times in an hour. And this is earthy, real stuff. Walt Whitman once talked about that the fragrance of his armpits was finer than any manufactured perfume. This is real stuff. But this is what I opened to. And this is why it was so filled with grace for me. Hafiz wrote in the poem, The Stairway of Existence, we are not in pursuit of formalities or fake religious laws. We are not in pursuit of formalities or fake religious laws. For through the stairway of existence, we have come to God's door. We are people who need to love because love is the soul's life. Love is simply creation's greatest joy. Through the stairway of existence, oh, through the stairway of existence, Hafiz, have you now come, have we all now come to the beloved's door? Not formalities, not religious laws, especially not the fake ones. Hafiz identifies that there is a teaching, a kernel, a core invitation that runs at the heart and below all particular religious traditions. He says there is an animating force that is bigger and draws cleaner and clearer than any caricature religion ever makes of itself, and religion is very good at drawing caricatures of itself. Hafiz is saying it has no single name, but all names come from it. It is not a single path, but all paths run from it and all paths return to it. Of all the famous, famous sermons that comprise the history of Unitarianism and Universalism, I think of Unitarian Christianity, 1819, William Ellery Channing, the sermon that basically got started our identity as Unitarians in America. And by the way, we have one of our small groups, one of our springboards, our small groups for spiritual growth that is dedicated in the time upcoming, starting late February, to studying the history, not just the history, but the spiritual practice of our Unitarian and Universalist ancestors. You can find that. In your little sign-up sheet. And then just less than 20 years later, along comes Ralph Waldo Emerson, blows it all up with what's called the Divinity School address and says it's not just about scripture anymore. The wisdom that you will find in this life, you can find anywhere in nature and in your friends and in community or on your own as much as you can find it in any book. Just less than two decades later after Unitarianism was born, it was already changing and growing. But probably the most important sermon to what we are doing here, what we're called to do here at Wellsprings is this. It is Theodore Parker's great sermon, The Transient and the Permanent. What Parker was trying to do was identifying what's the stuff that's really real in spiritual life and not to get too hung up on the teachings, the formalities, or the fake religious laws that is not real. The Hebrew tradition breaks it down in this way. See, this is a problem in religion. It gets too sort of full of itself, too big of a head. And you need some prophets to come along and break it down. Break it down to the essentials. Leave the transient stuff out and say, what's permanent? What are we really doing here? The prophet Micah said this, three things. Do justice, love mercy, walk humbly with your God. Bang, that's it. Do justice, love mercy, walk humbly with your God. Jesus broke it down even more from three to two. Love God, love your neighbor as you love yourself. That's it. Everything else is commentary. Break it down to the core stuff. That's what Hafiz is talking about. 
All of us, we are universalists. All of us have the invitation to ascend that stairway, that staircase of existence and to arrive at the door of promise and hope and growth. Like Hafiz here at Wellsprings, we are not in search of those formalities or fake religious laws. We are dedicated rather to the practice of abundant life rather than narrow life. We know that there is a difference, and it is the most critical difference in our time that I think anything else is. There is a difference between sleepwalking through this life, sort of stumbling, putting one foot in front of the other, and not paying attention. And on the other side, practicing the arts of living an awakened life. This difference makes all the difference to us at Wellsprings. It's why our mission is to be a community charged full with the charge of the soul from Uncle Walt, from Walt Whitman. Now our mission was intentionally chosen to be a show-not-tell mission. People sometimes ask, and I like to give little descriptions at the start of each of our worship services, of this is what charged full with the charge of the soul means. But it's a show-not-tell Whitman, who was friends with Emerson and Thoreau and all the great transcendentalists, he believed that the wisdom was all around us, that we were born into it, that we swim in it. That is the heart of what is called liberal religion. It is open-ended. It is invitational. And we are to enter it so we can grow. This is what our mission means. It is when you, as many of you have, told me, That although our thoughts can differ and our thoughts will differ, that we can be grounded in that deeper experience, that common experience of experience in which like recognizes like, even if we don't have all the same names for God. See, our mission has to be experienced before it's understood. You cannot understand it before you come to it, before you're part of it. So many of you have told me, and really naturally, that you're recharged after you leave one of our worship services. That after gathering in one of your small groups, you feel a sense of connection and purpose that you did not feel before entering it. You tell me that you have more fuel in your tank to help get you through those really, truly awful times in life when you wonder if you are only running on fumes or fumes are all that is left. Or you tell me that there is such great juice and energy that we share here together that you have a capacity and we have a capacity to truly enjoy the fruits of the spirit and of this life. That is our mission, to be charged full with the charge of the soul. The cool thing about it is it knows no time. It's here in our time, but it is ancient. It is the most ancient charge that there is. It is as old as the first of our species who first first ever looked up and had that inkling That start of all great religious sentiment. Awe. Wow. (laughs) That simple wow that is part of being alive. Our mission is as ancient as our ancestors who for the first time looked in their heart and knew their heart to be broken. And broke open themselves and cried honest tears. This charge of the soul is as ancient as our first brothers and sisters who looked around them and saw their brothers and sisters in pain and said, I can do something. I can do something to help still this soul in turmoil.
The charge of the soul is as old as it gets, and it is as current as today's newspaper. It is as real and as necessary now as facing the uncertainty of our world, and knowing that despair is a very real choice. Despair is a very real choice. To say it is too difficult, it is too much. And you know what I will do? I will numb myself. I will numb myself because caring hurts too much. To be awakened and to live an awakened life means that we will open ourselves up to great joy and also to great pain. Or, and this is the charge of the soul, we can remain open. We can even say that we will be vulnerable, that very scary thing, to the immensity of this life. That we can be grasped and we can grasp, that we change and can be changed by this life. And even in the midst of turmoil, even through it, we can come to know a deeper peace. Our charge reigns remaining honest to this hope and to the fear that stand at the heart of existence. And also to be honest to faith and to doubt. One of my favorite Unitarian Universalist bloggers has a very interesting name, peacebang.com. She's an excellent blogger, Reverend Victoria Weinstein. And she is Harvard-educated, exceedingly bright, knows more words than I know. Yes, it's true. But she also has a very, very deep and mystical sense. And she told a story on her blog earlier this month about being in a church, a Greek Orthodox church in San Francisco where she was visiting once and seeing just as sure as she was sitting there a spectral presence a ghost, as she termed it, sitting next to a man who was sitting by himself. And he went up to this man after the service and described this woman that she saw sitting, that Peace Bang saw sitting next to this man. And he said, you have absolutely described to me my dead wife. You have absolutely described to me this woman who I loved. And he cried and he hugged her. And Vicki Weinstein says, well, it is what it is. <laughs> Just accept it. Don't know exactly what it means, but it forged a connection. You know, we hear a story like this, I hear a story like this, and I say, yeah, there is that, woo <laughs> there is that profound connection that perhaps even death cannot alter. That there is a common destiny for us all, a rhyme and a reason, a time for every season and a season for every life. That there is a real reason to hope in this world and perhaps even the hope beyond this world. And then, on the other hand, one of my favorite literary characters is Tevye, Fiddler on the Roof. On the other hand, there's always another hand. On the other hand, we hear stories of another atrocity befalling the innocent Another person who's become a victim through no fault of their own. And we see in those days, I know I do, only chaos and disharmony. And we wonder what sense any of this ever makes other than perhaps God-forsakenness. To be honest, to faith and to doubt, to hope and to fear means that we do not need to solve the riddle of this existence. We only are invited to live fully in its presence.
See, our lives, they are straight lines, and sometimes they are punch lines. Our lives are lifelines and love lines. Our eyes, our lives are eyes that dance with smiles that can light up a room. And our lives are eyes that fill with tears that seem almost bottomless at times. When we can embrace and be embraced by this life and experience the charge of the soul, we arrive at that door that Hafiz talked about. And we grow roomy in spirit, not narrow. It's a taste, I think, of what the Hindus call Brahman. The one that is in all and the all that is in one simultaneously. This is why we chose a mission here at Wellsprings that would be, as best as we could wrap our arms around it, a universal experience. Just this past week, I was studying, it came out last summer, the Pew survey on sort of religious attitudes in American life. I don't know if you got a chance to take a look at it. It's fascinating. Just Google Pew and religious attitudes and you'll find it. Interesting stuff. And actually confirmed some things I had heard before. You realize that 70% of self-identified religious people believe in America that you do not have to be of their faith to eventually go to heaven. And almost 60%, think of this, almost 60% of self-identified evangelical Christians, when we were preparing Wellsprings, getting up and running, I spent a lot of time, more time than I ever thought I would, in evangelical Christian congregations, because the one thing I knew, I didn't agree with what they taught, but they had really grown some dynamic religious communities, and I wanted to learn wherever the learning was available to me. But nearly 60% of self-identified evangelical Christians who hear week after week after week after week, trust me on this, and actually you can turn on the Trinity Broadcasting Network if you want to, and hear the same message. There is only one way to salvation, and his name is Jesus. And yet 60% of these self-identified evangelical Christians, you know what? They're universalists. Welcome to winning an argument. <laughs> the majority of Americans are universalists in their heart. Well, and that asks the question, begs the question, why aren't we then America's largest faith? Why are there only about 200,000 Unitarian Universalists? I think the answer is this, that we have been too enamored of thought for thought's sake and not enamored enough of practice, the practice of contemplation, the practice of love, the practice of community that transcends individualism. That's why we are not the numbers that I believe we will be. We have become too self-identified by what we do rather than the basis of who we are. One of the going descriptions of Unitarian Universalism that I can't stand, and it was written by someone I really like a lot, is that we believe in deeds, not creeds. Deeds, not creeds is like it separates us out from just what we do. As if our only value is in how active we are. And that there's nothing that resides inside of our heart. What we don't have is a single creed that everyone must subscribe to. But we do have beliefs. I don't know anyone who acts in the world for justice or love or compassion that doesn't have a grounding belief. That doesn't believe on one level that as Dr. King taught and preached that the arc of the universe is long but it bends towards justice. 
It bends towards love. It bends towards all those things that bring out wholeness in our lives. So I never say not deeds, but creeds. I say that we at our best, we believe in devotion, not dogma. Living devoted lives to the capacities for our own wholeness and to bringing out and being with other people as they too journey towards wholeness in this life. Devotion, not dogma. We have to not just feed the intellect, we have to feed the heart because that's what we are composed of. And also gut as well too. That's important as well too. Learn to trust that and also question it. This call, this charge to care, to care enough to awaken so that we can be a source of blessing to other people as they awaken. I got a great reminder of this this past week. I got a call in the office from a woman who was looking for some financial assistance. She's doing what a lot of people are doing right now in this time in this place. She's opening up her phone book or she's getting online and she's just going through the alphabet of congregations. And it tells you about some people's desperation that they get all the way down to the W's. I called her back. Actually, I got the message at first from Carol, our administrator. And I called her back. And when I called her back, she wasn't in. She called me back like two minutes later. And she said, I was next door. I was watching my neighbor's child when she was out on an interview. Because she, like me, is unemployed. It's a woman who lives in Coatesville. Beautiful reminder of that even in the toughest times. Neighbor helping neighbor can be an affirmation of the ties that truly do bind us. It can be a temptation to cut ties when we are afraid, but in fact, those ties are even more important. So this woman was calling for assistance, and I have a sort of laundry list, 10 years or so, 10 and a half years, actually, God, almost 11 now, of being a minister. You get suckered a few times early on by people who are not telling you the truth and they're looking for assistance. Get sort of a nose for who's legitimate And who's not? She was legit. And by the way, those of you who do consider this to be your spiritual home, because of the money that you have gifted to Wellsprings, I have never had to turn down one person who has come to us for assistance in these two plus years now that we have been a worshiping religious community. When you give to us, you allow us to give to others as well. So, these tough times, I was reminded by this woman, sent her a gift card for Giant. I said, what do you need? Diapers is what she needed. Put two $50 gift cards in the mail to her. We (laughs) put two $50 gift cards in the mail to her. There is a security in this kind of giving and this kind of connecting that no building... (laughs) can ever guarantee. It's a reminder I had this past week that the gift, the greatest gift we can give to each other is the gift of each other. In a time in which all of us are to one extent or another very worried or moderately worried about our financial resources and perhaps feeling that narrowing, that narrowing of the gut (laughs) truly that happens when we think about what will happen to our jobs, our money, our homes. We need a reminder of the abundant resources that still exist. And so I'm going to share with you some work right now that came out of one of our springboards. It came out of a springboard called Happy Money. 
Spiritual living in a material world. And by the way, this is exactly what I'm about to describe to you. This was exactly the plan that we had to wait to fill in the details on because we couldn't force it. The hope is that when people gather in a small group for spiritual growth, they are attending to each other's nurturance, each other's spiritual growth, but they will also ask another question as well too, and it will come organically through their experience. How can we meaningfully share our spirit gathered here with the other folks in the congregation? There won't always be a real direct answer to that, but this group had a direct answer. They said, what difference would this happy money orientation make? To all our folks here at Wellsprings. And this was their faithful response. Wellsprings gifts co-op beta. That means we're trying it out. We're giving it a test run. Show the next slide. Some of you are familiar with the concept of a time bank. In which people exchange not money for money but gift for gift, time for time, hour for hour, in such a way that people are able to find complementary needs. We know, and I know this from talking to you, that some of you really are having to tighten your belts. Now is the time to double down on community. We're going to start out with these four categories that we've identified as needs, real perceived needs within our congregation. Babysitting, driving in errands, All seasons, yard chores, small jobs around the house. The idea behind this gifts co-op is that you can provide one of these services, one of these gifts to someone, and you can get back from our program, from Wellsprings, one of these gifts in kind. Reminds me of what Thoreau said, that goodness is the only investment that never fails. As time goes on and as our gifts co-ops, co-op grows, we will expand this list. We started with just these four because we didn't want to make it overly complicated at the beginning. So what I'm going to ask you to do is that if you are signed up for the weekly, the first item you will see this coming week is about this gifts co-op. All we've done right here today is come up with a vision. That's what we've been gifted with by Happy Money. We need some hands, we need some hearts who are willing to help us grow our gifts co-op here at Wellsprings. Because in a time in which there is so much temptation to pull back the reins of our lifelines, we want to extend them to and with each other. The hope also in this is that something I preached on last week. I want, especially if you have young kids, especially if money is tight, I want you to have the opportunity to go out and enjoy yourself for a night. (laughs) Fun is so critical and so important in a difficult time. Where Wellsprings is today, where we have grown to because of the charge of our soul together, we have done this by choosing fullness when we could have chosen scarcity. We have done this by taking risks when we could have done and made a safe path or a safe way. We have arrived at this place today and have so many people, so many of you who are not with us two years ago because we have chosen over and over and over in very small ways, but they add up. 
to bless this world with our gifts. So I'm going to ask you to think about participating in this gifts co-op because you can bless each other right now and really make secure the ties that bind within this community. So we'll continue to grow here. I have no doubt. Chargeful with the charge of the soul. It's a natural thing. So happy birthday, Wellsprings. Happy second birthday. Many more will come and will be just as joyous. Amen. May you live in blessing. Let's pray together. God, I do not often pray in this fashion. You who are a higher power and presence to me. But I would ask your blessing, the blessing of this universe, when we come to knock upon that open door of the beloveds, that the blessing will rest here with the people in this congregation. That all of us will be given and receive the invitation to grow larger hearts even through this fearful time and this fearful season. I ask that the turning of the arc of this universe, that wellsprings in its growth stays aligned with the larger growth of goodness and wisdom and love and compassion. And God, yes, I ask this with humility, that I will continue to be gifted with what is necessary to give this congregation and these people everything, everything that is necessary. Together we are blessed. Together we will be blessed. Amen.